Today's scripture is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power I work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Bethany Gibbons Blankespor. I'm an elder here at WCF. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series going through the whole book of Ephesians. And you may have noticed that today's passage is a little out of order. Uh, due to schedules and availability, Pastor Andrew and I are flip-flopping the two parts of Ephesians 3. So he will be preaching next week on the first half of Ephesians 3. So apologies to any linear thinking folks for whom that is frustrating. Uh, but I will not be able to hide how much I love this particular passage of Ephesians. So I really appreciate the flexibility that allows me to preach on it today. This is a passage that I keep coming back to again and again in my life. Every time I read it, it takes my breath away. It is as though I can feel the power of the Spirit that is being invoked in this prayer, ready to move and answer this prayer for us here across nearly 2,000 years and cultures and generations from when it was originally prayed. In the context of Ephesians, this prayer falls pretty much in the middle. Everything up to this point, all of the big picture theology in the first half of Ephesians leads up to this prayer. And everything after this in Ephesians, all of the practical instructions for living flows out of this prayer. And really this prayer, it really just has one point. It's a lot of words, but has one point. And that is that the Spirit might empower us to know and live in Christ's love. So when I was a kid growing up, I grew up in a suburb of Boston. My mom used to take me and my sisters into the city to go to the Museum of Fine Arts. And we always spent a lot of time with the Impressionists, and especially Monet, because that was her favorite. And I, I love those too. Um, they are so beautiful. Um, so I don't know if we can see here. Yeah, okay, so here we have one of Monet's haystack paintings that we would go and see at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Um, when you step in front of a Monet, and really any great painting, you just feel this sense of awe and wonder at its beauty. But to truly do the painting justice, you need to step close and see the details. You need to notice all of the colors and layers and textures that deepen and enrich the painting. And then you step back again and let the beauty of the big picture, enhanced by the close-up deep dive, bring you once again to that sigh of beauty and wonder. So 
I think the book of Ephesians is like one of those awe-inspiring grand paintings. And what we are going to do today is step up close to do a deep dive of this particular section of Ephesians. And my hope is that by looking closely at the details, um, it will enrich and deepen our appreciation and, and understanding for all of it. That as we gaze intently, the Spirit might empower us to know and be filled with Christ's love. So let's begin and dig in. So the, the, section, the scripture starts, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Okay, for this reason. For what reason? Let's pause quickly and go back and investigate, like, what is the reason that Paul is referring to for this prayer? So Paul is actually picking up from what he started in the verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, this is the reason. But then, in true form, he gets sidetracked and goes down a bunny trail to share about his role in the revelation of the mystery of God. That, this is the section that Pastor Andrew will speak on next week. We'll do the close-up dive next week. Um, so when Paul here says, for this reason, we can actually go back to this is the reason in verse 1. Stick with me here, which is referring to what has just been discussed in the second part of chapter 2, which is what Pastor Andrew talked about last week. Okay, so let's do a really, really quick review of the good news that Paul has shared with the Ephesians prior to this prayer. The reasons that he bows on his knees before God. For what reason? This is what we have seen in Ephesians 2. The Ephesians were without Christ, and now they are in Christ. They were aliens, and now they are citizens. They were strangers to the covenant promised, and now they have been made members of the household of God. Those who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Two divided groups have been made one. A dividing wall is broken down. The two hostile groups are reconciled in one body, and then in that one body reconciled to God through the cross. Hostility that existed is put to death. There is access in one spirit to the Father, and they are growing into a holy temple, a dwelling place for God. They are fellow heirs, members of the same body, sharers in the promise of Christ Jesus. They have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in Christ. These are the reasons, Paul prays, this reconciling, two-made-one, far-off, brought-near, heirs to the promise, bold and confident access to God, all of this in Christ, through faith in Christ. For this reason, Paul bows down and pours out this prayer. And it is the reason that he addresses his prayer to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. In the Greek text, it's the pater, father, from whom every patria, family, takes its name. And in Greco-Roman culture, pater, father, is more than just a relational designation that we might think of in a modern small family unit. Um, and patria is more like a, a clan or a tribe. For all the members of the patria, the family, their identity and status and access to privileges derives from the pater. And so Paul addresses his prayer to the pater from whom every patria in heaven and on earth takes its name, which makes sense given all of the reasons that we just talked about, this two-becoming-one um, nature of the mystery of God. Last week, Pastor Andrew had an analogy that I really liked or of, a, of a river and tributaries that became one. Um, when they 
when they cut flow together, they do not become a hyphenate combined thing. They become the identity of the bigger body that is being flowed into. The Anacostia becomes the Potomac. The Potomac becomes the Chesapeake. Um, so it's kind of like that. And then if there was somehow like a tide that flowed all the way back from that larger body that has become back into the tributaries, transferring all of the vitality and characteristics of that larger body into the smaller ones that have become part of it, because that's what's implied uh, with all of the families that derive their name from the pater. Okay, so let's look at the meat of our prayer here in Ephesians. As we know, or as we may know, Paul's sentence structure is a little convoluted. So as I approach the text, I am playing detective and looking for verb-related words. I'm the daughter of a middle school English teacher. Of course, I'm going to look for the verbs. <laughs> okay, question for any of the kids here. Uh, can anyone tell me what is a verb word? Yeah, okay, and adults. <laughs> Kids and adults, awesome. Okay, verbs, actions. Yeah, so I'm, um, there's a lot of words in this prayer, but I'm wondering what is the action, like the happening that is being requested in this prayer? Okay, so let's, let's look at these verb-related words. I see, um, be strengthened, that you may be strengthened. Dwell, that Christ may dwell, being rooted and grounded. And I see to comprehend, to know, and be filled. Okay, so these are the verbs, the things that are happening, or rather being requested to happen in this prayer. Let's flesh it out. Paul asks that God may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. This is a prayer for empowerment. This is a prayer asking for Holy Spirit empowerment. And we have seen power in Ephesians, uh, especially in chapter 1. Um, when I think of power today in our context in Washington, D.C., I think of those who have power and are in power, and those who are powerless. I think of how people spend their lives pursuing power. I think of unequal power dynamics that exist in systems and work environments and communities. I think of power that is used to control. And I think of the church in America where spiritual power is often sought for personal gain and self-serving ends, and where maintaining and gaining political and cultural power is considered an end that justifies any means. But this is a power not to manipulate and control. This is a power, the power that we see throughout Ephesians, if you were to do a word study of where power, the word power shows up in the book of Ephesians, this is a power to reconcile. It is a power to make those who are dead alive. It is resurrection power. Through this kind of power, may you be strengthened in your inner being through the Spirit. Okay, second verb. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell is not a static verb indicating location, like that's where Christ is. Dwelling is actively living in a place, inhabiting it. When I think of dwelling, I think of being at home in a place. May your hearts be a place where Christ dwells, where Christ is at home. I think it's also referenced to earlier in Ephesians 2, where Paul says that God's people are growing into a holy temple, 
And the temple, of course, is the dwelling place of God. So in Ephesians, we see that at a communal level, we are being made into this body, this structure where God dwells. But this prayer indicates that it is both communal and individual. The prayer is that each heart would be a dwelling place for Christ, a place where Christ is at home. I remember uh, when I was a kid visiting my friends' houses, and some of their houses had a room. Usually it was like off to the side just after you entered, uh, and no one was allowed to go in that room. It would maybe have a formal dining table or formal-looking couches and chairs. It must have been used sometime, maybe for special occasions or special guests. Um, but if you stepped into that room, there was no evidence of anybody, like any real humans, living there. Now, this felt very strange and very different from my family's house, where you literally couldn't find a room or a corner or an inch of the house that didn't scream with evidence of the six kids who lived there. I think the image of dwelling is kind of like this lived-in-ness. May your hearts be places that scream out the evidence that Christ is living there, is making himself at home there. Going into our third verb-related word, this is happening. Christ is dwelling in your hearts as you are being rooted in love and grounded in love. So Paul is mixing metaphors here. Being rooted is a gardening term, an agricultural metaphor. I am a very, very amateur gardener, but I do know that what your roots are in will impact plant growth. Whether your roots are in soil or not, what kind of soil they are in, there is direct causation to what is going to go on in the life of that plant. What the roots are in will determine the kind of food and nourishment that a plant gets. Friends, a plant that is rooted in love is soaking up every day the nutrients and nourishment and vitality of that love in which it is rooted. So just for a moment, let's imagine a plant that is rooted in something else. A plant, and just to be clear, in the metaphor, the plant is a person, so, you know, a plant, really a person, that is rooted in something else, rooted in shame, rooted in bitterness, in fear, in judgment. What is going to be coming into and through and out of that plant. And now in our imaginations, let's go back and contrast that, plant, that with a plant, and again, we mean a person, uh, who is rooted in love. Its roots are reaching down and receiving all of the nourishing love that is needed to flourish each day. Just imagine this plant that is soaking in love. Imagine you as this plant that is soaking in love and all of its growth and fruit is sourced directly from that love. Being rooted indicates a dynamic and ongoing activity. Plants need their roots to draw up water and nutrients continuously, every day. I don't know about you, but I need my roots to feed me doses of God's love daily, literally. Bea can attest and tell you about mommy's morning music that we listen to on our drive to school. These are songs that help me connect to and remember God's love because I need that reminder in the morning that I am beloved. I live differently when I'm grounded in God's love each day. 
I used to get frustrated by this need, like I should get to a place where I am more loving and kind and compassionate on my own strength and will. But does a plant get frustrated that it needs water from its roots every day? Okay, well, if you're my house plant, you do, because I forget to water you. <laughs> but no, there's no shame. That's just how plant is. It's just how we are. We need continuously to be fed and nourished by our connection to Christ's love. Now, being grounded is a structural image. Being grounded is about a structure's foundation. This imagery picks up on the earlier imagery in Ephesians 2 of what God is doing in this reconciling new thing. It says God is making out of two this one structure joined together with Christ as the cornerstone, and it is being built to be a holy temple, a place where God dwells. So here in this prayer, the prayer is that you are being grounded in love. Your foundation, your structural integrity and stability is on love. Okay, moving right along to our next verb. Comprehend, that we may have the power to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. Paul is asking that we would be empowered to comprehend the full dimensions of Christ's love. So my brother-in-law is an architect, and he's offered to design a built-in loft bed situation for Bea's room. It's a very small room, and we would love to maximize the space. But he keeps asking me to send him the dimensions of the room, which I do not readily have. Honestly, I don't go through my life, much less my house, thinking about detailed measurements. I'm more of a big picture person. I might tell you, like, the room is like, it's generally pretty small. Without furniture, I think we once fit a blow-up queen air mattress in it, but there wasn't much space around the edges, and like I can't remember if we could open the door or not with the air mattress blown up. Like That's how my brain thinks about dimensions. But what my brother-in-law is asking is for me to really, really discover the dimensions of this room in all its fullness, to know the space from the door to the corner on each side. There's a small window, so to know the measurement from the corner to the edge of the window trim and from the floor to the bottom of the window and the other you know, edge of the window to the closet door and where the electrical outlets are. And these are the kind of detailed measurements that just feel tedious to me. Generally knowing how big or rather how small this room is, is like good enough for me. But if, hopefully when, I respond to my brother-in-law's request, I will know this room in a different kind of way. Taking each measurement, noticing and recording every single dimension of that room, that forced process that feels tedious for me, will let me really know that room. I suspect there are details of the room that my big picture brain has just passed over and never stopped to notice. And for my architect brother-in-law, Knowing the full dimensions of that room will make a difference. So let me show you what he did with my niece's room. So here is the before picture. With a general knowledge of the space, you can figure out that a bed will fit in there. Fine, it's a bedroom. But look and see how my brother-in-law's knowledge of the full measurements of the room opens up creative possibilities of what can exist in that space. You see him working on bookshelves and the loft space with a ladder. 
and it opens up possibilities for how life can be lived in that space. Before, it's just a bedroom, but now it can be so much more. That is what the invitation in this prayer is like. May we comprehend the measurements of God's love. Instead of just knowing in a general way, you know, God loves, God loves us, kind of like I know that our room is you know, pretty small, what if we were to slow down and pay attention to each corner and crevice and twist and turn of God's love, to notice and record and measure and seek to comprehend the full dimensions of God's love? Similar to a small bedroom, as we comprehend more and more the dimensions of God's love, it opens up creative possibilities for how we might live life enveloped, rooted, and grounded in the space of that love. It expands the possibilities for life within that love, and it impacts how we live out relationships, how we live out our vocation, how we neighbor, how we rest, and how we work. Okay, but how do we measure God's love? Okay, um, kids, I need some help. So here are some measuring tools. What could you measure with these measuring tools? Yeah, baking ingredients. Okay, what, what could you use these to measure? Yeah, chemicals, like chemistry stuff. Okay, what could you use these to measure? Yeah, you could measure wood stuff like that, yeah. Okay, here's a question. Could you measure those like chemi chemistry beakers? Could you measure the ocean with those beakers? No, it's too big, right? What about the, the measuring tape and the ruler? Could you measure a mountain with those? No. Maybe if it was really, I don't know. It would be a really, really long measuring tape. Um, no, it's too big. How do we measure God's love? Well, maybe we measure God's love. Maybe we measure the breadth and the length of God's love like this. Maybe we measure the height and the depth of God's love like this. We see the dimensions of God's love in the measurements of the cross. God's love poured out in Jesus. Or maybe if we're looking at Ephesians, we measure the breadth and the length of God's love in the reconciling power to bring two hostile people into one. And we measure the height and the depth of God's love in the, the reconciling miracle of heaven reconciled to earth and divinity God reconciled to people. I love me some Hallmark movies, but this is not Hallmark movie kind of love. This is a suffering love and a reconciling love. This is a cosmic love and a personal love. This is a love that satisfies our earliest and most critical attachment needs, a love that rewires our brains, and a love that overflowed into the activity that created light out of darkness and breathes life and new form out of nothing. We can spend our lives measuring the dimensions of God's love. And all this to, onto our last, our, no, not our last, almost last verb, our next verb, is to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Okay, what a silly phrase. How can one know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, there are different ways of knowing, right? Something that many languages, not English, acknowledge. You can know facts about something. You can have intellectual knowledge and information. 
But then there is a knowing something. You can know a place or a neighborhood after you've lived there for years, and it's a knowing that goes beyond the mere facts of the place. And you can know a person in a way that goes beyond information about them. This is a relational knowing, an intimate knowing. There are things that we can know with our right brain in a way that we cannot be captured by our left brain or and I, think, and I think that it is this kind of relational, intimate, experiential knowing that we are talking about here. Knowledge is something to be mastered. You master knowledge, but knowing is relational and intimate and ongoing. It can never be mastered. You know, a lot of the concepts that Paul has written about in this letter to the Ephesians are hard to wrap your head around. And it would make sense for Paul to pray for the Spirit to grant the Ephesians the power to comprehend these theological ideas. Spirit-empowered intellectual understanding. But that is not what is being prayed for here. And if you don't know me well, don't get me wrong, I love good theology, and I love good practical theology. But what I want the Spirit's empowerment for is to know that which is beyond knowledge. To know, to be intimately familiar with the love of Christ in all its dimensions. To spend my life pursuing intimate knowing of the dimensions of Christ's love. To get lost in that pursuit. We can spend our life measuring God's love because there are dimensions of God's love that we will only discover as we encounter God in various parts of our stories and our world. And notice that the prayer is to comprehend with all the saints. This is something to be shared. This is a knowing that is individual but also communal. And that makes sense to me because there are dimensions of God's love that I will only know through community. Each of you will know dimensions of God's love as it encounters your own story that I will only get to know with you in sharing that story. I want to know the love of God in the ways it is known only in the depth of suffering and pain. I want to know the love of God and the dimensions that are experienced through creativity and courageous faith and the pursuit of justice. I want to know the love of God in the freedom of repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. I want to know the love of God and the dimensions that are discovered in the ordinary, every day of loving one's neighbor. I want to know the love of God in the joy of healing and springtime after a long winter of desolation. I want to spend my life pursuing the measurements of God's love. Finally, our last verb phrase, we got to it. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All of this comprehending and knowing is so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what is the fullness of God? The fullness of God is all of God's love all of God's power and holiness, God's mercy and righteousness. The fullness of God is everything that characterizes God and God's kingdom. 
I can't hear this verse without thinking of Paul's letter to the Colossians when he tells them in chapter 2, verse 19, that in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God dwells. The fullness of God is no less than the full presence and love of Christ Jesus that we have been contemplating throughout this prayer. May we be filled with that fullness of God. Well, friends, we have stepped up close to this scripture passage and contemplated its images from different angles. So now let's step back again. Everything in Ephesians up to this point, all of the theology and truths of this new reality, this new humanity, the mystery of God, all of that leads to this prayer. And as we continue in Ephesians this winter and into the spring, everything in Ephesians after this point, all of the practical guidelines for living, all of that is instructions for a people who are being rooted and grounded in Christ's love, who are being filled with all the fullness of God. Maybe this prayer to the Ephesians will keep calling you back to it, as it has me. I think that the application action of this scripture passage is the action of contemplation. Maybe you want to spend more time with it. There's a QR link here for um, an audio-guided Lectio Divina that kind of, you can can get it from the website or download it onto podcast app, um, and it guides you through hearing and contemplating this passage today. It's done by the author and spiritual director Sharon Garlow-Brown. So maybe you want to take this and come back to this passage, listen to it during your coming week, help it, let it help you be rooted in God's love. My prayer for you, for us, as we hear this prayer, is that we will desire the Spirit to empower us to know Christ's love, that we will long for roots that nourish us each day in Christ's love, that we will set out on a lifelong pursuit to measure the full dimensions of God's love, to intimately know this love that is beyond knowledge, so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.